0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike.
2: Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I am an expert in fire investigations, having 45 years of experience. I'm also honored to have been the past president, uh, or am the past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and the primary instructor for their expert courtroom testimony course. Um, I'm here with my uh, co-host, Don Ingram.
3: This is Donna, and I have almost 30 years of experience in insurance, in the the insurance industry and insurance fraud.
2: And we have, and we're very, very happy to have uh, some really good attorneys here th- th- today. Not only are they good attorneys, but they actually have personalities and everything, so, and you can trust them. Uh th- We have Samantha Shannon, who's an assistant district attorney with the Johnson County District Attorney's Office in Olathe, Kansas. She's worked in DA's office for over uh, eight years and is assigned to the narcotics unit, which handles all arson and explosive explosive cases also in the county. She's prosecuted a variety of cases, including arson, aggravated arson, criminal use of explosives, uh, distribution of illegal narcotics, and homicide. She's a past... presenter at the annual, annual Kansas IAAI Conference, and uh, she uh, assists us all over the country with the IAAI Expert Witness Courtroom Testimony Course. Um, welcome, S- Sam.
4: Hi. Glad to be I, here.
2: Thank you. And we also have in this segment uh, David Bridges. David Bridges is, uh, is an associate at Medgar and Gear, and, uh, which is a catastrophic uh, loss practice group. Uh, which is uh, concentrates on civil litigation, fires, explosions, uh, and other ca- catastrophic losses uh, all across the United States. And he is a um, he is an IWAI certified fire investigator and a candidate for the International Association of Arson Investigators Board of Directors, uh, which will have their convention in Las Vegas, Nevada, here in April, upcoming April. Um, David. How are you today?
5: I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Donna, Mike, and Sam. Happy New Year as well.
2: Thank you. And you have uh, because you're going to give for for you and Sam. You have to a certain disclosure. that you have to do because you're a you're an attorney? Is that correct? You want to start with that? Yes,
5: sir. It is. It is. And uh, as Mike said, my name is David Bridges, and I'm a full-time law enforcement officer turned practicing civil attorney. I work for mayor and gear in Minneapolis. And I'm here today with uh, Samantha Shannon, who's an assistant prosecutor with Johnson County District Attorney's office in Kansas. And we're here to talk about general educational information regarding fire investigations and the courts in both the criminal and civil context. And although we're attorneys, this is not intended to provide or replace legal advice in any way. Our observations are only intended to provide the general education overview to assist in your understanding of the interplay between fire investigations and the courts in general. And as such, if you have any questions, please consult with your own attorney before taking any action on your own.
3: Well, thank you for that. And uh, I might say for our own show also that uh, when we have these guests and, and ourselves, we are expressing uh, our Our points of views, and so forth. nothing is is to be taken in a legal matter. Um, and hi, Sam. <laughs> Hello. I wanted to ask you right off the bat uh, to talk to us. share with us an interesting case, something funny or or heart heart touching, something that uh, you have in your experience?
4: sure. about um about three years ago, I had a case where an individual had set his house on fire uh, to lure emergency responders so he could ambush them. You know, a lot of our fires are uh, financially motivated or maybe revenge against some sort of domestic issue. But but this was an ambush. He was an anti-government type, and this was going to be a sort of suicide by cop uh, kind of situation. It was a difficult case. The initial investigation didn't go quite as I would have liked it to go. Um, They forgot to collect some of the physical evidence, like a a gas can sitting in the living room. And the fire itself didn't give us a lot uh, to work with, but the firearms around the house uh, certainly gave us a different picture. And then we had audio from the first responders that captured the three gunshots um, that help us piece the case together. Then using DNA and ballistics, we were able to match um, the spent shell casings with the gun that the individual had been holding. So we, we get ready for jury trial the first day. We're all dressed up. We're ready to go. The jury's ready. And we're getting ready to walk out. And the defendant collapses. And I thought this might be the quickest guilty verdict I've I've ever accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) And the irony was, is that the first responders who came to run the medical call were the same fire department that he had tried to kill. So they certainly knew who he was uh, and he wasn't too happy to see them even a second time. Um, But he he didn't, he didn't pass away that day and we did try him on a different day. The jury found him guilty of attempted first degree murder and arson. And he's currently serving uh, 15 years in the department of corrections. So it was a case that had a lot of kind of twists and turns and some really ironic moments but uh it was it was a lot of fun to prosecute.
3: Well, wow. <laughs> All I can say to that is wow. And uh, kudos to the the fire department for, you know, taking care of him even knowing that he had done that. That speaks a lot to the profession. It, it really th- did. Yes, and thank you so much for what you do also. Absolutely.
2: Well, and I have a question for you, Sam. You you presented a lot of uh, uh, different types of cases. I know that. When it comes to fire cases, um, what do you think? Um, what do you think your biggest challenge is in in, uh, in in these fire cases?
4: Sure. I think you know a lot of times fire guys are really great at fire investigation. It's what they know. and It's what they do every day. But what what you guys need. For a fire investigation and what I need to present a case to a jury, are a lot of different, uh, a lot of different things. So getting them to build a case that can be presentable and tie up loose ends um, that go beyond just origin and cause are, are sometimes a challenge.
2: Well, I can imagine, and, and that's, why, well, that's why you've been assisting us with these uh, expert witness uh, courses, correct? Because you want to teach these uh, witnesses how, exactly how to present their cases, correct?
4: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, there's nothing like the hot seat, and I have seen more than one person uh, be on the other side of, of you, Mike,
3: cross-examining
4: them and, and needling them in depositions, and it's, it's a unique experience for sure.
3: Uh, David, you've you've been in both public and private. Uh, what's your perspective on how t- the two areas differ and how they're similar?
5: Well, you know, I, I think there is obviously a lot of uh, difference, to, you know, at the forefront, uh, civil and criminal. I mean, obviously, in the civil sector, you are looking at a party who feels that they've been harmed in a way, and they're bringing uh, a suit against another uh, Party in that in that in that way, and they're seeking, you know, of course, monetary relief or other equitable relief. And in the criminal court system, you're looking at uh, the government, uh, or you know, the state, uh, or the federal government who's bringing a, a claim against a person who has violated uh, the law. And of course, obvious uh, with that comes a different uh, standard of proof. And in, in the civil side, you. have you're looking to prove something uh, on the preponderance of the evidence. And uh, criminal side, you're looking at, it's got to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And, you know, those are just some, some brief differences in the, uh, the way that the, the legal systems are set up. Uh, and and, and there, there are a lot of more nuanced differences as you get down into the weeds of uh, fire scene origin and cause investigation specifically as it relates to uh, expert testimony and then within the state uh, and federal system, of course, uh, the, the federal uh, expert testimony standard is based on the, the Daubert uh, standard or the Dalbert decision. And from there, you know, you've even got uh, many states that uh, wholly follow Daubert. Um, and you, they also have their states that have retained uh, the Fry standard. And you've all, all, also got, uh, hybrid standards that are out there. So there are lots of differences to be concerned with in the criminal and civil sector, but also as you get down into the, the weeds of the expert testimony.
2: Right, well, uh, well, I didn't mean to slight you either. You also ex- assist the IAAI all over the country uh, in teaching these expert witness courses. Um, but from your experience, since you've been on both sides of it now, you've, you're not only a, was a law enforcement officer, but you're you're still, I know, I, I think, uh, aren't you still uh, uh, that also as well as a civil attorney? So can, give us an interesting case uh, briefly, please.
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of interesting cases over the years. Uh, I'd say uh, most of my memorable uh, Cases and I think Sam would probably agree from her uh, role as a prosecutor would involve those cases where you're able to come together. You've got a problem. You're able to come together and uh, get the answers, figure out what happens, and 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 get to the truth. And you know, you involve the team approach. You involve uh, other agencies. You work together collectively, drawing from each other's uh, strengths, and you uh, help help figure out what happened and hopefully are able to uh, bring uh, on the criminal side, the, the, uh, perpetrator to justice. And in my case, one of the more memorable uh, cases for me was in North Carolina, when I worked for the state of North Carolina, uh, specifically with the North Carolina state Bureau of investigation, I had a series of, uh, incendiary fires that involved houses under construction and, you know, we all know uh, arson. The, the term arson is derived from common law, and that refers to a very specific type of burning offense. Today, we refer to arson-related offenses or other burning-related offenses kind of together. Um, and and but it varies from state to state. And in North Carolina, uh, this wouldn't necessarily have been a arson-specific uh, offense, but it was a series of related. Uh, unoccupied houses under construction. And this went on for about a six-month period of time. Uh, we had a proactive response that involved uh, local, state, federal agencies, uh, prosecutors, um, and, and as you might imagine, this, this widespread, um, not just geographically, but uh, various agencies, their resources. And you know we were able to come together and identify the perpetrator and bring that person to justice. So I would say that was a a positive outcome that's more notable.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Sam, I wanted to ask you uh, what is your job in educating the jury about fire?
4: Really my job in educating the jury starts with For Dyer and that's The very first part of a trial when we actually pick the jury, um, you know, we ask them a lot of basic questions about who they are and their beliefs, but that's really the first chance to educate a jury about what it is we're going to do and do they already, does anyone on the jury already have an idea or think they have an idea, um, you know, of arson or of fire science with CSI and NCIC and, and all these other crime shows, a lot of people think they're already experts. Um, By the time they even sit on a jury and they think they know what's going on. And so that's my job. And then the other part of my job is to get the witnesses to explain it in such a way that the jury can understand it. Because if you can make a jury feel intelligent and feel like they understand what you're saying, that's how you win them over. Um, And so I encourage my guys, when they're prepping for trials, to explain their testimony to someone who doesn't do this for a job who doesn't use the lingo that we use and get them to understand it because that's who your juror is going to be
3: and i can imagine uh one of the first it's overcoming myths like uh, everything burns up there's no evidence when and in reality it's actually burning the evidence into the scene Right. Or, you know, I mean, you watch CSI
4: and they find the other side of the match right at the scene and, and they scan it and then they got a fingerprint off the match and then they have it as a suspect in five minutes. And some people really believe that to be true. And so one of the, the jobs of my guys and, and of me is to get to educate.
3: So, yeah, exactly.
2: Fantastic. Um david you're now you're on the civil side and and uh you take depositions and um, and uh, a lot of people are afraid of depositions uh, what should uh, our listeners know uh, and and we have to do this briefly uh what they should know if they are ever called to to give a deposition
5: well that's a great question uh at the at the outset I would say that you know depositions are basically for those listeners who don't know they're recorded statements made under oath so uh, it's, it's, it's sort of, uh, your, it's a one bite of the apple type deal. But in those situations, you know, you want, it's the very, uh, the most important thing is to listen to the question that's being asked. And I think as, as someone that's had their deposition taken and someone that's taken a deposition, it's very important for the deponent, uh, to be able to listen to the question, uh, take a moment and make sure they fully understand what's being asked. Uh, take another moment and make sure they can formulate in their head what they want to say that's, that's responsive, because there's a different, it's different to, uh, to give an answer that is responsive versus giving an answer that is responsive and then includes a lot of other irrelevant or unasked information. And so formulate in your head, what's important, that's responsive and then to make sure that they articulate it, it in a way that makes sense. And, uh, Nothing more. so I think that would be a, a takeaway for those people who, uh, who want to know about deposition.
2: Well, you know, um, I always tell the, my uh, students in the expert witness thing is uh, listen to the question, think, answer, and shut up because that's, that's the way if you start enlarging on it, you're in trouble. Sam, what's your take on, on, uh, on expert witnesses um, their, um, and, and we only got a minute left so
4: Sure. Well, I mean, you're, what you just said, listen, answer, and shut up. I can't tell you how many times someone's given me a good answer on the stand, and I think, yes, mentally. And then they keep talking, and I think, no, just, just please stop. Please stop talking. Um, so, yes, the, I can ask you another question. David can ask you another question. I'll ask more. Trust me. We both like to talk. It'll be fine. But um, And sell yourself. I think that's the other thing I would, I would tell the listeners is know your CV. Know your qualifications. If you don't believe in you, no one else is going to.
3: Right, exactly, and I can also think of a lot of people that keep elaborating whether they're on the stand or not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, she looked at me when I she did. said that.
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, I mean I didn't want to say much, but uh... sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yes, and uh, and David, well, uh, David and I have a nice little uh, thing that we go back and forth, particularly when we're around uh, Sam. Um they they call us the Bickersons. I think that's what they call us anyway. Um, th- I want to thank uh, both of you guys for being here. Uh, I hope that people enjoyed it as much as we did our listeners. Um, Sam, you're keep keep on with your continued success, your wonderful prosecutor. Keep putting them away, please. and um, and uh, and David, yeah, now that you've went over to the dark side of uh, of, of the law, you're a, a civil attorney. Keep up your good work. I know that you have you have saved a lot of uh, of uh, fraud cases from from bad guys getting paid. Thank you for being here. Okay.
5: Thank you for having me, uh, Mike, Donna, Sam. It was a pleasure, and uh, look forward to talking with you soon.
2: Thank you very much. Now um, we're going to have a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Mark Shear of uh, Shear and Zener in, uh, in in Washington State. He's a well-recognized civil attorney, and we appreciate uh, him being with us too. Please come back to Speaking of Fire.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net
0: out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at T R N.
1: You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire dot com. Now, back to this week's program.
3: Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for listening.
2: Yes, and uh, we have we're honored to have a, a very uh, great uh, attorney uh, from from the state of uh, Washington. Mister Shear uh, is Mark Shear. Uh, from Sheer and is and he is a, um, has a thriving practice uh, that, that focuses on uh, complex commercial litigation. He's admitted to the state and, and federal bar and, has, and the Supreme Court, US Supreme Court. Um, he's, he's tried cases on property insurance, bad faith, uh, subrogation, personal injury, cr- criminal prosecution, products uh, liability cases, wrongful death, and, uh, and he speaks regularly to numerous international and national conferences and has appeared on uh, ABC's uh, Good Morning America. Uh, he's also, uh, he was admitted to the, to the Washington Bar in 1987 and also uh, has uh, admitted to practice in Oregon, Idaho, and Alaska. Um, Mr. Shear, thank you for being here.
6: Thank you, Michael, and hello, Donna. Thank you so much for having me on your show.
2: Well, you're welcome, sir. I I wanted to know, um, how is it, you're a civil attorney, uh, and you, I know you have all these areas of practice, um, how did you first get involved in in fire cases?
6: Oh, that's a good question, actually, and I kind of hate to date myself, but I got to make one correction. Uh, um, uh, Yeah, I am the founding partner of the Shear Law Group, but I was actually admitted in Washington in 1986. And then Alaska was 1987, and I can't even remember when Oregon and Idaho, when I got admitted to those jurisdictions. But I've had the great good fortune over my career to be um, involved in just all kinds and varieties and numbers of different types of fire and also explosion cases. I kind of lump those two together very frequently. uh, Sometimes uh, there's some crossover. Um, And I guess basically how I became involved in that to begin with, Michael, was I had a a boss who was an amazing trial attorney himself, uh, Michael Runyon, and uh, he did some firework and also was retained uh, counsel for a national company uh, that had some uh, products. They they manufactured products like consumer products, um, and there were from time to time allegations or claims that, that maybe that consumer product had started a fire. So they would hire us to assist in uh, giving them advice on, from a legal point of view on how to respond to the claim, uh, the investigation of it, uh, and then, of course, either trial or a mediation or settlement, something like that, if it, if it was something that we deemed that maybe there was some exposure that we should be paying on the claim for. It. Uh, that's part of it. But there's so many different aspects that fires kind of come into contact with civil courts. Um, so I don't know, hopefully that answers your question.
3: Absolutely. Um, I wanted to well, out of those uh, product liability, so forth, anything interesting? did you have any any quote big cases unquote that really piqued your interest?
6: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, in fact, I was going to say, because I know there's a lot of people in in what I would call the fire or fire investigation industry, I kind of... Uh, fill a very small niche in that industry as a trial attorney, and and I I do, I have quite a bit of trial experience in those multiple jurisdictions. But what what I've done over the um, course of my career, now going on over 30 years, um, is I'll be involved in in all variety of cases. I kind of went back as we were getting ready to. Uh, do this show, I, I thought back about what kind of cases I've handled, and oh my goodness, the, the range of cases I've handled over these years is just pretty remarkable. I, I was surprised myself when I kind of made the list. I've been involved in uh, gas line and gas pipe explosions and fires, everything from structures of apartments, single-family homes, commercial warehouse fires, or retail structures, and mixed-use buildings. Um, and then I've also uh, been involved in some uh, what I call recreational vehicle, like camper, RVs, and motorhome type fires, for certain products that might be included in them, and then consumer product cases. Um, oh my goodness, I've I've handled all variety of different kind of consumer product, almost anything that is energized, from a space heater to a an, um, hair dryer to a, a curling iron to a copy maker. Anything that plugs into a wall can at some point be accused of being the cause of a fire. Sometimes that might be the case, sometimes not, but I get involved in in those types of matters. And then one particularly interesting one, and it's kind of unusual, so I kind of picked it as as a favorite over the 30 years. Many years ago, I handled a, a shipboard fire up in Seward, Alaska, and it was cu- quite a, a remote location. Um, of course, every place in Alaska is quite a ways <laughs> from the lower 48. Uh, but in that case in particular, that was uh, one one of uh, of a few that I've handled that were investigated by the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board. And as uh, Don, as you and Michael both know, anytime the NTSB gets involved in an investigation, um, or the ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, that's usually a pretty big or pretty prominent fire. I've had the uh, Mm -hmm. good luck of being involved in a number of those types of investigations, which usually end up being quite a bit more thorough. That fire in particular was interesting because it was a very large ship and. Ships, it's a steel-hulled ship, which you wouldn't think that that would be subject to a fire. It wasn't a wooden boat. It was a steel-hulled, massive vessel. But And the NTSB got involved in it because it was a very rapidly spreading fire, and they wanted to explore and investigate it and come up with the recommendations on shipboard insulation, the type of insulation that ships uh, both container ships, passenger ships, uh, fishing vessels, might use to insulate their vessel from cold environments like Alaska. Um, and the interesting thing about that one, it was a very tragic case in the sense that the captain of that ship lost his life. Uh, oh. There was no injury to anybody else. Everybody else was able to escape, but the ship was destroyed and a total loss. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to name the name of the ship, but, but they investigated because of the blown-in insulation, and I believe they made some recommendations because the toxic smoke, that came out of the fire was actually probably more dangerous than the fire itself. So that was right. kind of stuck with me as a memory.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It, doesn't it feel good to know when you've, you've done your job and it, it impacts, makes a change?
6: Well, yeah. I think that's one of the things that impresses me about those types of investigations. I I tell people all the time in defense of my own profession, because a lot of people don't like lawyers, and and there's a a good reason that maybe some people might have a negative impression of certain things, but I will tell you our legal system, and and this is definitely borne out for me in the fire side of cases, the way our um, government entities research and get involved in investigations and also the way the civil litigation system works, actually creates better, safer products and better, safer way of doing things. And I'm very proud of that because even though I don't, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, have anything specifically involved in terms of making recommendations overall, I get the opportunity to tell my clients how to do things better based on what we've learned from past experience and my clients, which are usually the corporations that make the products or that are involved in these incidents, have a genuine interest in doing things better. And, and it, it, even if it's only to avoid litigation, that's great because it makes things safer and saves lives, and it's, it's a good, positive thing. I'm very right. proud of that. Yes.
2: Right. And I, I think that's uh, – it's. Well, that's phenomenal, first of all. But secondly, do, you, to do this, uh, to have a fire investigation, you have to have uh, you have to identify experts and you have to select them. Do you do that? Do you identify and select the experts for your for your uh, cases?
6: Yeah, I do. A couple things happen, Michael. Uh, When there's a fire, sometimes I get involved right at the outset. I've been called uh, from time to time, even very recently, on an extremely large, prominent fire up here in the Northwest, called before the fire was even out. Uh, But sometimes I don't get called until, you know, months or even a year later. Uh, maybe by a company that that all of a sudden is being sued, or somebody that wants to know more about it and wants an investigator to get documentation. On the recent ones, if it's very recent or very early uh, in the process, the client that calls me, whoever it might be, usually will ask me for recommendations. Sometimes when it's later, they will have already had an investigation, and I'm dealing with what I would call a a cold set of facts, photos and maybe some preserved evidence that is is there waiting for me, and then I get to go select my team, uh, or if there's already a team there, go meet with them and find out what they have found, what they have uh, reviewed, what they've investigated, and what their conclusions are. Uh, So it comes about a couple different ways. But, yes, I definitely get to uh, make a choice sometimes.
2: Well, that's great because uh, well, you know, I know the first time I met you is, is in a very large multi million dollar loss. And uh, and uh, I wanted to mention something that we didn't talk about before, and that's you are also a member of the International Association of Defense Councils, the loss. Uh, uh, Executive Association, the Defense right. Research Institute, all of these things. And when it says defense, I want I want to make sure that people know that you're talking. The, what type of defense are we talking about? Are we talking about civil defense here. We're we talking. Are we talking about criminal defense? Or are we talking about civil defense?
6: No, no. I only deal in the uh, civil arena. I, I I did prosecution as a student prosecutor way way back in law school. But no, I'm a civil litigation attorney. And, and one other group that I would also mention, I'm a very proud member of the Themis Advocates Group, which is kind of a national association of defense lawyers, some excellent firms to, from throughout the country uh, that do work like this and, and are excellent uh, trial attorneys and investigators and such. But I'm, I'm always on, uh, well, I guess not always, I'm most often on the defensive cases like this, for example, where a product manufacturer is being uh, alleged to have produced a, a defective product that caused a fire. That, that would be a good example. However, sometimes uh, in the civil arena, maybe I'm representing an apartment building that burned down and I'm investigating it and if we determine that the fire was caused by um, a bad electrical problem that an electrician did, then there might be a suit that I would represent them in that would be called typically called a subrogation suit. Uh, so I'm kind of on a plaintiff side. Uh, the other one, and this is an unusual one, you, you might be surprised by this, but I've actually handled some professional liability defense cases involving fire. Fires. That's typically involving architectural issues, uh, very frequently issues related to draft stopping or, or uh, fire safety issues, and design of buildings where there might be an allegation that the fire shouldn't have spread or shouldn't have gone as rapidly or caused as much damage because of some of defect like that.
3: What do you find interesting about fire cases? What, what's the most interest for you?
6: You know, that's a great question, Donna. I, uh, and this might sound a little bit self-serving uh, to experts like yourselves, but one of the things that's fascinated me uh, about this business and about fire cases that I have is the actual science of fire and fire investigation. And I have to admit, I, I, I am not a fire investigator. I'm not trained. I, I understand the NFPA, and, I, and I've dealt with so many experts over the years that I've learned basically through osmosis what a lot of this is. But the fire cause and origin experts that I've seen and worked with over the years are just amazing. And I think one thing that's still impresses me, even 30 years later, it just impresses me so much how uh, fire cause and origin experts, properly trained fire cause and origin experts that come into a fire scene can take a part of smoldering rubble, and actually pinpoint the location and very often the actual cause of the fire. And they're very good at it. I look at it, and I just can't fathom how anybody could actually sift through all this evidence that's just basically charred rubble and, and such and actually come up with the answers to this. For example, the National Transportation Safety Board, uh, they are just amazing with what they do with the science and the technology of it, and they can be so accurate and so amazingly precise, even when somebody like me who's dealt with this over the years can look at it and just go, how in the world can you go in there and figure this out? It's, it's like, you know, I guess it's like any other kind of forensic investigation. There are experts out there that are able to do things that us mere mortals simply can't even fathom. That's always impressed me about it. I love that part of this business.
2: Well, just like uh, at least you, you, uh, you uh, are very well versed in the law, sir. And we, we of course uh, study and research uh, fire um, fire issues and fire um, investigation. We um, well, the only fire investigators that fall behind are the ones that 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 quit learning. And and, uh, and when you have, uh, and we have got very short amount of time here. What do you? What's your best advice for a fire expert?
6: For fire experts, uh, you know, I guess be thorough uh, that that would be mine. I think uh, they they typically are uh, follow the guidelines for proper securement of evidence and then and then they go through the process of investigation i I've been practicing so long, michael, that that uh, I have seen the changes in the protocol. Uh, for NFPA and the, pr- and the proper protocol for investigating fires, and when I first started this, there was a different approach by some experts. Now it's more, um, I don't know if unified is the right word, but maybe standardized. I mm-hmm. think that's been a big improvement, and, uh, and I think you hit on an excellent point. It's, it's one that applies to me as a trial attorney, too, and that is to keep learning. Never think that you know everything. Always be open to learning and understanding. I think that's one reason I love my job and I love this business is every single case, I learn something new and and it's just amazing what you have as a potential to understand and learn and the information you get from handling cases like this. It's fascinating.
3: It's exactly right. We had a guest a couple of weeks ago that said uh, exactly that it's not so much uh, that, that we've made mistakes, it's that we're learning. We're learning new things. The science is the same. Everything is the same. Fire is the same. It's just we're, we're learning.
6: No, and, and every case is unique too. I think that's the other aspect of it. There's not, there's not a single, uh, you know, from case to case or fire to fire. There's never one that's exactly the same. You learn one from one uh, instance, and then you take your learning and you expand on it and grow on it. Uh, I know I'm a much better uh, fire uh, uh, attorney now, handling fire cases now, than I was when I first started. And it's the accumulation of all the experience and knowledge you get from case to case. Um, Michael, I want to go back to your comment. I've always been impressed with the work that the fire investigators do, but it is kind of funny you say that. They make it look so easy, but I've had them say to me that they can't understand how I can get up in front of people and speak and talk to thousands of people or present a trial. Now, to me, that seems really easy, (laughs) but doing what you guys do seems to be so hard. So, you know, you find your niche, and then you go with it.
2: Well, thank you very much for being with us, and thanks for your information, sir. When we Absolutely. come back, we're going to talk to uh, Chris Councilman, who is uh, with White and Williams, who is a subrogation attorney. Come back to Speaking of Fire. Thank you.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
1: Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net.
0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at com. Now, back to this week's program.
3: Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for listening.
2: Yes, thank you for being there. Uh, We now have uh, a really good attorney that is a subrogation attorney, and he's going to tell you what subrogation is. Uh, this is uh, Chris Konselman and he has uh, been a partner of, uh, of a 33 lawyer subrogation uh, department uh, law firm called White and Williams LLP. Uh, and he started his career in uh, 1990. Uh, he was admitted to practice law in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, the District of uh, Columbia, and is lead counsel in fire cases of uh, subrogation matters all throughout the United States. Uh, he's a member of the International Association of Arson Investigators and the uh, National Association of Subrogation Professionals and many other organizations, the National Fire Protection Association. Uh, his practice is focused on investigating and litigating fire losses for insurance carriers, and he's frequently a lecturer on the uh, property subrogation-related to uh- uh, he's going to be at the International Association of Arson Investigators uh, International Training Center and be presenting there. So you'll see him if you go. And uh, um, and he's active. Uh, he's, he's also, this is really great. He's also a firefighter, a fire officer, and a fire instructor. Chris, welcome to Speaking of Fire. So thanks for having me, Michael and Donna. Thank you. And, uh, and we, were, we were talking... Uh, uh, earlier, uh, Chris, you and I know each other, and uh, and uh, can do you have an interesting case that you can run by us uh, on a on a, maybe a subrogation matter? First of all, I guess you better tell them what subrogation is, and then tell them an interesting case. Okay? Yeah,
7: sure. So subrogation is a process by which uh, insurance companies step into the shoes of their insured when insurers pay a claim that are caused by the actions of a a third party. So let's take an example. Let's assume that you own a house and you hire an electrician to come out and to install a new outlet in the house. If that outlet later catches on fire and burns down the house, the homeowner submits a claim to the insurance company. The insurance company uh, retains a subrogation lawyer such as myself. They adjust the claim and the subrogation attorney through a a group of consultants that he or she hires ultimately determines what took place and what the electrician did wrong. That lawyer then brings a claim against the electrician and the electrician's insurer uh, to recover the money that is paid to the insured. That's called subrogation. So the insurer is stepping into the shoes of the insured and pursuing third parties that are responsible for causing covered Insured losses and you know I've been doing this now for uh, 26 or 27 years. I've had you know thousands of cases over the years and they're all I- interesting in their own way but you know one that's particularly interested was a uh, a, a fire in a grain storage facility. so it was a, a silo and there were you know thousands and thousands of bushels of grain in the silo and mm-hmm. the grain in that silo caught fire after some fumigation took place. So that claim presented a lot of interesting issues because during the suppression process, the fire department needed to, you know, in essence, you know, bash holes through the silo to let the grain out. And of course, as that's taking place, all of the evidence is disappearing because that evidence is going out with the grain itself ending up on the ground. So that claim presented a, a lot of very, very interesting challenges we were ultimately able to uh, determine what the ignition source was for that fire, and we ultimately litigated claims for a good number of years, and um, it, it turned out to be a, a, a good result for us. But, you know, we get to see a lot of interesting things. Uh, every one of these claims is uh, new and interesting in its own way, and it's, it's very enjoyable when we get to work with a good group of forensic experts in determining what happens and what causes fire losses.
3: I have, a, I have a question for you. You were talking about uh, third-party liability and subrogation and how the insured is paid by the insurance company, and then the insurance company is basically recouping their their loss, which is paying out because it's someone else's responsibility. Now, does that mean that the homeowner is also suing that third party, or how does that work?
7: It depends. So if an insured has enough insurance, then it's generally the insurance company alone bringing a subrogation claim against a responsible third party. If the insured for some reason is underinsured, they didn't carry enough insurance, Oftentimes, they will work with us, and we will bring a single lawsuit, which includes both the insured and the uninsured losses. So what we do uh, before we file a complaint is we evaluate what was the true legally recoverable loss, what uh, did the insurance company pay to the insured, and then we make the decision whether or not there was a compensable uninsured loss that the insured wants us to pursue. The majority of the time, the insured are fully compensated by the insurance company. Every now and then, we do run into the situation where there's insufficient coverage. And in those cases, we do sometimes team up with the insured and bring a single action against the responsible party to recover not only the insured losses, but the uninsured losses as well.
3: So, and just for further clarification, so if if that's the case and the insured is Uh, compensated, whether it be because they were insured properly or if they were uninsured, they're not going to have an opportunity to file a separate lawsuit.
7: Correct. So if they didn't suffer any uninsured losses, generally speaking, the claim is then brought in the name of the subrogating insurer um, as subrogee of the insured. Every now and then we run into situations where during fires, people get injured uh, or killed for that matter. And in that situation, we're oftentimes working in conjunction with personal injury lawyers that the insured may have hired to represent their interest. It then becomes a joint effort. We generally share consultants in those types of situations, and we generally litigate the cases collectively with the subrogation lawyer handling the insured claims and the personal injury lawyer obviously handling the personal injury claims.
2: Right, and, and uh, well, like wrongful death, right? Is that correct? Wrongful death. Correct, That's sure. Correct, yes. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so so you guys, with with subrogation, you guys actually benefit society because uh uh, you, uh, have you found that you identify products that are dangerous that cause uh, um, cause fires and, and get them recalled that way?
7: Well, yeah, it's both products and activity, right? So we're generally the front line um, in terms of seeing what is taking place out there in terms of trends. So we may have uh, certain products that we consistently see at the area of fire origin. And we oftentimes can develop or see the trends that are taking place. So if we have a good number of fires that are, we'll say, in the basement uh, in the area of a humidifier or a dehumidifier, we then kind of evaluate and say, look, is there a product defect on a wide scale that needs to be addressed? And in those situations, we're putting the product manufacturers on notice of potential claims, they're beginning to realize that they may have a bigger uh, recall issue or societal issue, and ultimately, or what happens sometimes, is that those products then do get recalled. So, again, it's, it's us on the front line identifying these potential problems, advising the manufacturers of the potential problems, and then letting the manufacturers do what they need to do, to make sure that, if there is, in fact a defect, those products are taken out of circulation and, and don't cause any additional harm or damage.
3: if uh, if there is a, a say a singular type incident where uh, someone is or are thought to be liable, a third party, and the insurance company which happens, It's not going to be worth pursuing because it's a small loss. You know, let's say it's a a small amount. It's not a total burn of the house or so forth. Uh, is, Is the insured at that point, they can pursue a lawsuit, or is that something the insurance company will still help with?
7: Well, so if an insured suffers a relatively small loss and they're fully compensated by the insurance company, the The insurance company needs to make the decision on whether they want to proceed with litigation or formally asserting the claim. And, and part of that is kind of a cost benefit analysis because let's assume we have a a ten thousand dollar you know kitchen fire. Um, the insurance company has to be careful with sending a lot of consultants out to the site because the consultants obviously you know charge for their time. they, they get paid for their time. And, and at some point, the cost of investigating may exceed what the likely recovery may be. So it's really a policy decision that the insurance companies have to make. How large is the loss? How much will it cost to investigate the loss? And does it make sense to spend the money to investigate the loss, given the size? And in some of these fires, you can size them up relatively quickly. And you can say, geez, there is probably some subrogation potential here. And it may be worthwhile hiring the consultants and going out there and doing the forensic investigation. On other fires, you know relatively early on that there's not going to be any third-party liability, and you just let it go. The claim adjustment process runs its course, the insured gets paid by the insurance company, and the claim just gets closed and everybody moves on to the next one.
3: I, I, I'm a little partial to coming out of the insurance industry myself for a large carrier. and subrogation is fascinating to me. so just a, <laughs> that's why I, I kept elaborating.
2: Yeah. And uh, well, I wanted to ask you, you you've got a very got good firm that's well known, White and Williams uh, um, for subrogation matters. Uh, what's your percentage? I mean, do, do they uh, do they mostly settle or do you have to go to litigation? We've only got one minute though, I'm sorry.
7: Yeah, so the vast majority of claims that get filed do settle because it costs a lot of money to litigate these claims through conclusions. So we're generally dealing with very experienced lawyers on the other side. Experienced lawyers can size these cases up relatively quickly and you know make the decision as to what a jury is likely to do. So we will bring the claims, we'll take some discovery we'll exchange expert reports, all the lawyers involved will kind of size up the claims, we can all value the claims, and if the plaintiff's lawyer agrees with the defense lawyer on the value of the claim, that claim's going to get resolved. Every now and then, there's a significant difference between how the plaintiff values the claim and how the defense values the claim, and oftentimes those cases go to trial, but that's truly the exception to the rule. The vast, vast majority of these cases do get resolved before trial.
2: Well, thank you very much for that. And thank you for all your good information, uh, Chris. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the ITC. Um, and so um, now we're going to have to close. So um, next week, we're going to have uh, the International Association of Arson Investigators uh, management team, the president, the first vice president, the second vice president, that's George Cotting, Scott Bennett, and Bumper Moylan, plus the CFI committee chair, um, Rod Pevato, and uh, and Gary West, a Uh, fire marshal from Tennessee. Uh, Please uh, join us for Groups That Fight Arson
1: next week.
3: See you next week.
1: Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week. And every week.